Hello, hello, leading woman in tech. Welcome back and happy Tuesday. If you're listening to this the day the episode goes live, I hope you're doing splendidly. Today, I'm talking about a topic that is very dear to my heart right now, actually. It's a discussion I've had with some of my clients in a recent group session. I run groups for many of my clients and I have a group of VPs and SVPs and we had a discussion on effectively using their executive assistants. But this is actually very pertinent to me right now because this week, in fact, I'm onboarding a new assistant. And although it's different from when I worked in corporate, much of what I advocate to my clients applies to myself as well. So I thought, It's kind of pertinent, kind of timely. Let's talk about how to effectively use an assistant. But before we do that, I want to talk to you about why you need an assistant. Here's the deal. Many of my clients resist this. They have succeeded despite the odds. To paraphrase something from Shonda Rhimes in one of her many amazing series. Yes, I love Shonda Rhimes. I love all her productions. But to paraphrase her, um, she talks about it from a black woman's perspective but I think it applies different qualifiers, but it applies to women in general, it applies to any underrepresented group. We have to work twice as hard to get half as much. So if that has been the operating mode for you, whether it's twice as hard or three times as hard, one and a half times as hard, whatever it is, whatever that qualifier is for you, right? If you've had to operate like that, it's often hard for us to let go of it and realize, you know what? I can actually be supported in this. I don't have to do it all myself. And then, of course, there's the imposter syndrome. I have to do this all myself because if I don't, I'm failing. I'm letting people down. People will realize I shouldn't be here. What's got you to where you are today isn't going to get you any further a lot of the time. You've heard me say that before. You've probably heard many leadership people say that before, and it's so true. And ultimately, at some point in your career, whether it's today or in a couple of years' time, you are going to need to hire an assistant to be exceptional in what you do. There is a whole caveat here with academia. I work with several people in academia. Academia does not believe in hiring assistants for people. That's a can of worms. But unless you work in academia, that's not an excuse. The excuse is that you need to get out of your own head and realize you need to make the case to hire an assistant. And it's much like making the case for coaching, which I've talked about before on this podcast as well. You need to realize how valuable you are. And you need to make the case for the fact that you need to be supported. Because here's the thing. You aren't paid to do this day-to-day stuff. You're not paid to organize your calendar. You're not paid to write a thousand emails in one day. You're not paid to organize meetings. You're not paid to write minutes. You are paid for your problem-solving skills. That's what you bring to the table. You're paid to solve problems, create great outcomes, and change the world in whatever way it is you're doing in your job. All the other stuff is necessary, but it's not what you're paid to do. So how would it feel if somebody did a lot of all that stuff so you could spend more time thinking creatively and solving those big problems, the stuff that nobody else can do? You're listening to the Leading Woman in Tech podcast, where we talk about real leadership and what this means for the world of tech, the techniques, tips, and strategies you can use to become a standout leader. I'm your host, Tony Collis, tech leadership coach, strategist, and coffee lover. And in each episode, I share my best insights designed to make your success not just simple, but inevitable. Whether you're on the way to the C-suite, an emerging leader, or a budding entrepreneur, this is the podcast you need to become a lit-up leader and turn your tech passion into a career you love. 
And before you tell me that, well, yes, yes, but I have to do all that stuff. Here's, here's the hard but important part. You could work more hours. In fact, I know many of us do. We look at our to-do list late in the evening or on Friday night and think, I just need to get through a bit more of this so it's easier tomorrow morning or it's easier on Monday. Monday rolls around and it doesn't look any easier. Here's the thing. Multiple studies, hundreds of studies probably by now, have shown that it's counterproductive to work more than 40 to 45 hours a week in terms of productivity and creativity. So if you are cramming, managing your calendar, doing your emails, putting together that agenda, organizing that offsite into your 7pm on, on an evening after the kids have gone to bed, or on a Sunday between taking your kids to football matches, whatever it is, you're trying to cram this in. You're actually killing your ability to do the work you're paid for. Because you're paid to be creative. And here's the thing, to be creative, you have to give your brain the downtime to solve those problems rather than having downtime and fretting about how long your to-do list is. So I want you to make the case to both yourself and your boss that you need an assistant. Work out your hourly rate, figure out how many hours per week should you be working. Then take your salary, divide that by 52 weeks, divide it by how many hours you should be working in a week. That's your hourly rate. Here's the thing. I bet that's a lot more than hiring an assistant. In fact, it's a lot more than hiring another engineer or a second in command as well. You are expensive. That's the definition of a leader. But you're expensive because of your experience, your ability to solve problems and to think creatively. And that does not work without time off and time out without being worried about that long to-do list. I want you to make that case to yourself and then I want you to go make it to your boss. No, you should also consider getting a second in command, maybe a chief of staff. Many of my VPs have a chief of staff or program managers, some sort of mix of the two. Those are very different skill sets from an assistant. Of course, there's always overlap in the same way. You can do the job of an assistant, right? You can. Your chief of staff could also do the job of an assistant. I would argue that's also not a good use of funds, especially if you get to a certain size of a team. I want you to have a good think actually about where you need to support yourself, but I would always advocate starting with an assistant if you haven't got any of these others in place, because it will make everything else more effective. So once you've made the case, once you're bored into this, I'm just going to assume you're bought into it because it's not the point of today's episode. I want to talk to you about what effectively using an executive assistant looks like, because I think some of our resistance comes from, I don't know what I get them to do. I certainly felt this way when I first started talking about hiring an assistant. For me, a virtual assistant, I'm in the world of entrepreneurship in terms of what I do for myself rather than what I coach my clients in. Uh, but I, I was what, like, oh, I don't know. Do I have enough to outsource? Believe me, I do. <laughs> and at the end of the episode, I'm going to talk to you about how to identify what to outsource, what to get rid of. But first of all, here are some of the standard things that I think it's a really good thing to outsource to an assistant ASAP. And you'll see quite quickly that this is actually a full-time job, which is why you don't have as much time as you wish you did. And you're working crazy hours and you still don't get done as much as you wish you were because you're doing all this for yourself right now. The first one is calendar management. This is the standard thing that most people start out with having an assistant. And quite often you'll find um, in some companies, especially small companies, startups, they have an assistant managing three, four, five, six, or maybe the entire executive team's calendars, because that's as far as they see executive assistant work going. By the way, that's a poor use of an executive assistant. These people are very well trained. 
They often will have good qualifications. They may even have things like MBAs. That is a poor use of such talent. But it's a place to start. So if you can at least get your calendar management taken care of, that is a good place to go. What does that mean? What does it look like? Well, for starters, it isn't just about scheduling your meetings. Yes, that removes the back and forth. It's a great thing to do. But it's also about scheduling your meetings at the right time of day for you. So for me, I never take meetings in the mornings or very rarely. I have one morning a week where I take meetings because my mornings are my creative time. Side note, I've talked about this on the podcast before. In general, we are more creative in the mornings and more analytical in the evenings. So try not to do a lots of meetings in the mornings because that's your creative time gone. <laughs> Used up on making decisions on things that are actually often, more often than not, those meetings, the regular meetings are the ones where they don't take a lot of creative effort from you. You can be in reactive mode. If you start your day like that, you're likely finish your day like that. You don't ever do that proactive, really creative work that is what sets you apart from everybody else. So in general, try and free up your calendars in the mornings. Um, You should have a discussion with your assistant about having deep work blocks of two to three hours, minimum two hours. You need that to do the great creative deep work that is where the big results come from. If you're struggling to do that with your calendar, we need to chat, by the way. (laughs) I have worked with so many executives who tell me, I can't, you know, I'm in 40 hours of meetings a week. I can't do two, three hour blocks of deep work. It just isn't possible. Believe me, it's always possible. And actually, when you move away from those 40 hours of meetings, and there's always a way to do it. I've had so many people work with me who say they just possibly can't possibly do that. Every single time we find a way to do it for there's no one unique solution. There are lots of different ways of approaching. It depends on what you need and how you work and how your team works, what your organization needs. But you need to get out of those 40 hours of meetings. I would argue you shouldn't have more than 20. I know that is horrifying to some of you. <laughs> the world might just fall apart, but that's actually what you need in order to actually create great change Rather than just being the person who sits in meetings all day, who's just in reactive mode and never does anything strategic, that could be almost anybody. To do that really great strategic work, you need to get yourself out of those meetings. And more important than that, you need blocks of time. 20, 30 minutes here and there doesn't cut it. Use your assistant to do that for you. When I start working with clients, this is often the first bit of work we do. This is often the reason why they haven't worked with a coach before me. In fact, like a lot of them, they might have thought about coaching, but they just feel like they didn't have time in their schedule. Eventually, they get to the point where they're like, okay, I need something needs to change here. So they reach out to me. We work on this. The first thing we do is we work on their calendar management. Now, often, this is the point where you stop using an assistant. In fact, it's one of the reasons people don't hire assistants anymore is because there are tools out there to do this. I have one myself. I have a great tool called Acuity Scheduling. Go check it out. (laughs) It's just me. I love it. There's no affiliate link in the show notes or anything. I just love it. Calendly is another great one. I personally prefer Acuity, but they're all great tools. You can block your time. You don't need an assistant to do that for you. The assistant then becomes the person who helps negotiate time slots. So I will put in my emails, like if you can't find a time that works, get back to me because I work with people all over the world. Sometimes it just doesn't work. That back and forth could be handled by an assistant. I have very little of that, I have to say. So I don't feel that right now that's a good use of time for me to pass off, but it will be eventually. Um, And it's just really worth realizing that this is the tip of the iceberg. Just calendar management is not enough. So let's talk about what else an assistant can do for you. 
Well, the next one, and this may well be very uncomfortable to some of you. The next one, manage your to-do list and schedule it out. Ooh, is that horrible? (laughs) Giving power of your to-do list to somebody else, not to mention the fact you suddenly have to become more organized for your to-do list to be shareable says the lady with scraps of paper on her desk, because I am the lady who all day long, I just allow things in my head to come out onto pieces of paper and I then have to triage it at the end of the day. And I'm not perfect (laughs) by any stretch. So right now there are four sticky notes on my desk with to-do items. I didn't take any time uh, on Friday. I'm recording this on a Sunday. Um, And I didn't take any time on Friday to put those in my schedule, in my to-do list for the coming week because I couldn't be bothered. Don't tell anyone that. But it is just like I'm done. So there is some fear in this sometimes that when we hand over control of our to-do list, one, there's that control piece, and most of us control freaks. I certainly am, recovering control freak here. But also there is that element of, oh gosh, I have to be more organized. So here's the thing. I want your assistant to help you be organized, okay? I want your assistant to make your life more comfortable for you. And here's the other part of this that is really powerful. I want you to get your assistant to start scheduling things into your calendar for you. It's a to-do list item. You need to be having a chat with them every day, 10 minutes, or you could Slack them. I prefer a 10-minute actual chat because I think you convey more. Although I'm on Slack all day, so and I'm the person who prefers not to do conversations. I am very much, aside from my clients, I like to go with the flow. My team knows this. Um, We don't do sync ups very regularly because I'm just like not a fan of it. But I do know that in this particular instance, having a regular actual sync up is super powerful because they will ask you questions such as, okay, so how important is this? How urgent is this? When do you want it done by? Is that a hard deadline? Is that a soft deadline? How long is it going to take you? And then with that information, and they'll learn as well, by the way, like the more of these conversations you have, the better your assistant will become at understanding when you say something, what do you really mean? But you're scared to say it out loud because we all do that, right? We all do that. Um, a great assistant will get to know all those kind of unspoken items from you and will understand how important something is. And then here's a really good part. Based on the information you told them, they go put that in your calendar. So yes, your calendar suddenly looks busy for 40 hours of the week. Hopefully no more than that. They should never be scheduling more than 40. But your calendar suddenly looks busy. And then you say to them, I've got this other item on my to-do list. And I need you to do it today. And they say, great. Is that urgent? Is that really important? You're like, yeah, yes, it is. And they're like, great. So I'm going to suggest to you that we drop that 2 p.m. meeting. And you then say, oh, no, no, I can't. And then you have to negotiate with your assistant what you are going to drop that day. And that's really hard. And there will be times when you're just like, well, I have to get done today. I have everything else is non-negotiable. But suddenly, I'm, this is going to be the day I work later. But you're actually going to have somebody pushing you on this. Somebody who is there to protect your time, who's there to get you home on time and with the kids, who's there to make sure you don't open your laptop again at nine o'clock at night. That's their job. And suddenly they're negotiating on your behalf. This is why it's so amazing. And the other side of this is you have to get really, really good at estimation. I am the world's worst person for estimating that I can do 10 times the amount of work I actually can. (laughs) I am overly optimistic. It's a constant topic of conversation with my coach. I think I can achieve everything (laughs) in a day. (laughs) I really do. If you have somebody else managing your schedule, you have to say to them, I didn't get that done in the hour and a half you scheduled that I told you to schedule. 
And you have to tell them that. And they have to be like, okay, great. So next time we're going to double that then. And either you're going to double it or they're going to double it. And it makes you so much better at estimating time. So, so much better. It also stops you saying yes to things that you genuinely don't have time for. When somebody drops in your calendar and says, can we just have this? Your assistant is like, do you really need this? Because there is no time. And suddenly, again, negotiating on your behalf. And it just massively helps you understand what really is non-negotiable. Because suddenly you have somebody backing you that you have to negotiate with, even though they've got your back. They're backing you while you are pushing yourself. So give control of your to-do list scheduling to your assistant. Get your your assistant to schedule out your to-dos in your calendar. Get your assistant to schedule your lunches in. Those become non-negotiable as well. Working through lunch breaks should no longer be an option unless it's having an actual meeting away from the office to discuss things. You need to get away from your desk for at least 20 minutes in the middle of the day. That reset is an amazing recharge for more creative thinking. Without it, productivity drops. Okay, hopefully you've got that one down by now. (laughs) That's the biggest one on this list, I promise. Um, Some of the other stuff is a lot more standard. Planning fun activities. A lot of my clients will get their assistance to help plan the fun activities, even actually schedule the all hands, uh, team outing, all those sort of stuff. And some of you love that. Many of you are like me and kind of, you like the fact that this is done, but it's not a cup of tea. So outsourcing it to somebody who actually enjoys it is a great thing to do. If you're the person who's like, I know this needs to be done, but it's my idea of how, outsource it. <laughs> um, another classic is meeting agendas formalize agendas or get them agreed, get them sent around, invite contributions, send out deadlines for contributions to the agenda, and then also get them to send out minutes and notes. By the way, every single meeting should have some form of minutes or catch-ups or notes. It ensures everybody's on the same page. Again, I've talked about this one ad nauseum on the podcast before, but everybody has a different interpretation of the spoken word. That's not to say that doesn't happen with a written word, We all interpret the written word in a variable way as well, but it's harder to misinterpret the written word. So you should always be sending out brief notes. And the more formal the meeting is, the more likely it is full on minutes. Get your assistant to do those. Now, of course, they're going to be at the odd meeting where you don't want them to be in. But in general, I would argue your your assistant should be in the majority of meetings with you. They will also take actions on your behalf. They, you know, if you've agreed to organize something, your assistant will just write that down. Like, and actually, it's their job, not yours. Not to mention, they are controlling your to-do list for you. <laughs> so, get your assistant involved in your meetings, the agendas, the notes, the whole lot. Start small. Start with the, the agendas, and then go from there. Another classic is expense reports and filing expenses. One of those jobs that none of us like. Get your assistant to do it. You should not be doing that. Okay, another big topic, but another good juicy one is managing your emails. How many of you have thousands of emails landing a day? I certainly did when I worked in corporate. At one point, I did actually have over 1,500 emails a day. And quite simply, most of them never got read, right? (laughs) And the number of my clients who say to me, I have thousands of unread emails, it's a standard problem. It's a big problem. Here's what you can do with an assistant. It can be as simple as sending emails on your behalf. So for example, these days, uh, I have guests on my podcast, which I adore. Many of them, I won't actually be coordinating with them directly. 
I will be talking to their assistant about booking them in for an initial chat. We do that. And then booking them in for the actual recording. I never, actually, there's a couple of guests where I've never even had their email address. I get to meet them. I get to interview them. And it's amazing. We're friends on social media. In fact, we can be in real life friends as well, some of them. But I never email them. Their assistant is the one in contact with me. You can do that too. Now, you don't have to go that far. I, for example, use my assistant to send out emails on my behalf. So she sends out emails to my clients if I'm sick. Uh, She sends out emails to podcast guests when their episode goes live. There's all sorts of things like that. You can do that too. Get your assistant to send out emails on your behalf. That's a simple step. And again, a daily stand-up saying, hey, I need this, this, and this happening today. They can do that. You can proofread what they're going to send until you trust them. But that's a great way to go. But you can go further than that. Actually get them to manage your inbox. Now, your assistant should be somebody you totally trust. Part of your work in hiring them is finding somebody you can have that rapport with. And you don't have to hand over your control of your inbox straight away. But I ultimately, a really good place to go is to get your assistant really managing your inbox. So you have to be accepting of the fact they're going to see sensitive items. It's their job description, or at least it should be. And then they can do several things for you. The easy bit is the triage. Get rid of the noise, dealing with meeting requests, taking care of all of that. But they can go further. Have them draft responses or even send responses on your behalf. So one lady I've previously worked with had an assistant who drafted every single reply she ever sent from her email. They didn't actually send them. What they did is they draft them or put them in an outbox. And my client went through that every day, once a day, 15 minutes, went through all those drafts, approved them and they would get sent. She spent 15 minutes per day in her email. That was it compared to what most of us spent hours. (laughs) So... Uh, You can totally go down that route. And yes, templates are powerful. I highly recommend using templates and get your assistant to use templates. In fact, one of the things I'm looking forward to in my business is outsourcing more of my emails. And as part of that, I've been building up templates since day one of my business. I learned that trick when I was an, an executive working in corporate. If I send an email more than once, I make sure I turn it into a template. In fact, I'm so bad at like actually doing that. I now have a rule with myself where if I'm about to hit reply and I know I sent this kind of email before or I'm about to hit compose and I've sent this kind of email before, rather than composing it and putting on my to-do list, go turn that into a template, I actually do the template work right there and then. I will go and find the previous version of it I sent in my outbox, in my sent folder, whatever, wherever that is. I will then create the template save the template in my email app. So that slows me down by just like a couple of minutes because I'm going to draft the email anyway, right? And so I'm just making a template, which is a bit more generic. And then I will use that template to send the email as well to send. So it slows me down by a couple of minutes. That's it. But suddenly I have a template for that. And that means that whenever I do hire an assistant to start managing my inbox, my inbox rather than the inbox for my business, because there is a separate inbox for my business, I suddenly have all these templates they can just start using. They're in my voice that I'm happy for. Another thing you can get your assistant to do in terms of communication is Slack. So we actually had a bit of a brainstorm in the session that my clients did with me this week, how to improve your presence on Slack, because this is a growing problem. There's not a clear recipe like there is for writing draft emails in your inbox. And obviously on Slack, you are you, right? It's it's not so easy to give, you know, your assistant like your Slack credentials and have them log into Slack because they're logged into Slack themselves probably. It's a bit more tricky, right? So how do you manage this Slack thing? Well, there's a couple of things that we came up with. First of all, 
turn off Slack yourself and have your EA monitor it for pings to you. That probably does require them to be in all the group channels that you're in and also to inform everybody you work with of your operating procedure, i.e. if there's a problem, please ping my assistant and she will urgently contact me. And then your assistant's the only one that can message you, can come find you, can pick up the phone and actually call you. Nobody else is allowed to do that. They control access to you. (laughs) In fact, that should be like the summary for this episode. Your assistant controls access to you. That is the kind of their purpose, one of their many purposes. They control access to you so you don't have to manage that. You don't have to be shutting the windows, opening the windows, opening the door, closing the door, managing the hordes of people. They do that on your behalf. So you just sit happily inside doing your stuff, keeping your head in the creative zone rather than wondering whether or not Was that the doorbell ringing? Okay, there's a whole load of bad metaphors going on in there, but you see my point. So get your assistant to watch out for urgent stuff and know when to escalate and when to push back. Another thing that uh, one of my clients has come up with is something she's going to try out is creating summaries for her to read once a day on key channels. She wants to stay up to date with what some of her teams are doing, but she doesn't want to be in the weeds. But she knows that there's like high level discussions going on and define the architecture for the work that she's in charge of. And it would be useful for her to kind of see the high level stuff. And so she's going to go away and work with her assistant on how to like roll up, get rid of the noise and the backwards and forwards, but kind of show like the summary of what's happened in that channel over the day. So my client can quickly go in, read a quick summary of what happened in a few minutes rather than scrolling through pages and pages of Slack backwards and forwards, trying to figure out whether or not she needed to read all that. So that's another way you could do it. It's about thinking creatively. That's really what we're talking about here. In fact, get your assistant on board with that. Tell your assistant your pain points. Have that conversation. Another classic is slide deck preparation. Um, You might want to use a designer for this one. In fact, you should have some standard slide deck templates that you use. But one of the things I do is, I don't do this very often, but sometimes I will literally just give my designer (laughs) a Google Doc with my notes as to what I'm going to talk about, and they'll turn that into a slide deck for me. It's a really great thing to do. You might do that with an assistant if there's already a slide deck template. You don't necessarily need a designer to be doing that. But I tell you what, as an executive, you should never be doing your own slides and you should never be choosing which images to use. You are too valuable for that. You're one, going to be slow at it and you're not going to do a very good job because it's unless you are an executive at a design company, maybe that's where you started out. But honestly, you are too expensive to be wondering, how do I make this look better? Outsource the F out of that, my love. Slide deck preparation should never be on your to-do list anymore. Dump all your ideas, either in an audio file, in a Google Doc, whatever it takes. Maybe it's a blank slide deck, but whatever it is, it should not be on your to-do list. Side note, in terms of public speaking, you should never design your talk in a slide deck. Never design your talk in a slide deck. I could talk about that one all day. Not going to. Design it somewhere else. Don't think in slide deck terms. Think in terms of story. And then from that, you create your slide deck, which is why I do it in a Google Doc and my assistant turns it into slides. Just saying. (laughs) Okay. Okay, some more kind of smaller ideas to finish up this episode. You could give them some low-level project management tasks. If in doubt, hire a project manager. But you can also use your executive assistant to do your own sort of project management. Keep on top of your own deadlines, your own dependencies, all that sort of work. Travel bookings, this should be an obvious. These days, we're doing it less. Uh, In the past, our assistants would spend a lot of their time doing travel bookings because it's an exhausting thing to do. It takes far too much time. But tell them what you like. I have a friend who 
She never flies backwards. Like that is a rule for her. And she's like, I can't hire an assistant because they don't know what I like. I'm like, tell them, like, tell them how you like to fly. Tell them what the price points are that you're prepared to take business or first class because she would choose first class if it was under certain price point for a certain number of miles and all that sort of stuff or for certain routes. And so I was like, tell her that you never want to fly backwards. It's more important to fly in a lower class than to fly backwards. What hubs you like to go through? Tell them tell them this stuff. So yes, travel, but make sure that you're actually delegating what you really need. Managing contracts, managing clients. And you can also test them on even some bigger stuff. So maybe budgets, assessing and managing budgets. That could also be a chief of staff type job if you actually get yourself a chief of staff, different different conversation for another day. But you know, you could start your assistant off with managing some of those smaller things. There are a couple of general rules, though, that I want you to follow when you are looking to work with an assistant. One, if you've done something more than once, you should not be doing it. You're paid for the big problem solving, being creative. I've said that so many times this episode, but it's so true. You're not paid for your ability to do things on repeat. That might have been what you did early in your career. Whatever your career was, whether you're an engineer or a designer or in marketing, you probably had to do the drudgery. You had to do things over and over and it was probably boring because one of the reasons why you're where you are today is because it was boring. Not everybody does find it boring, but you know what? They don't get to your level. One of the reasons we become executive leaders is because we get bored. We need the constant challenge. So if you are doing something more than once, you need to figure out who to delegate it to. An assistant? A second in command, someone further down, junior member staff, I don't know. Which brings me to the second rule. If it isn't your zone of genius, you need to delegate it. Find the right person and delegate the hell out of it. (laughs) If you can do that, you are going to be so much more effective. Which actually brings me to a third rule that I've just thought of, wasn't planned to say. Stop telling yourself you can do it all. You can have it all. You can have it all. But one of the ways you have it all is because you don't do it all. Whether that looks like hiring a nanny to look after your kids, outsourcing the gardening, or hiring an assistant at work. You can have it all because you can be present in every aspect of your life that's important because you outsource the heck out of everything. That's how great leaders have it all. And you can have it all. I am sick and tired of women being told that they can't have it all and at the same time being guilt-tripped for outsourcing. The way to have it all is to outsource and feel really good at finishing your work at 5 p.m., feeling really great about not working evenings and weekends. And to do that, you need to make sure you outsource. So stop feeling guilty about the fact that you need to outsource. Stop telling yourself, I can just do do 30 more minutes and not give that to somebody else. If you are not the only person in your business that can do it, you should outsource it. If somebody else in the business can do it, outsource it. You are paid to do what you do because you are unique. You have a unique set of skills. You're extraordinary as a leader. So start owning that. Let's finish up with a leadership mindset moment, or I kind of feel like that last little bit there was a bit of a leadership mindset moment, but here we go. In case you're new around here, a leadership mindset moment, which I provide at the end of every episode, one of my favorite things to do, is a tip to help you adjust how you act or think to make it easier to up-level on the topic of today's podcast. So here's a quick one for you. Communicate more than you think you need to, 
and always give context. A great assistant can solve problems for you before you ever see them coming. In fact, if you work closely with an assistant for a long period of time, they're going to start understanding how you tick, how you operate. They're going to solve problems that you are never going to see. That's what you pay them for. They're going to be busy and you're not going to know why they're busy because they're solving problems that you never need to care about. (laughs) But for them to get to that point, you have to give them context. You need to make sure you know how they need to move forwards or how they need to move you forwards. How you like to be supported, what success looks like. Communicate more than you think you need to and always give context. If you do that, you are going to be setting them up for success, which means you are going to have success. And my final point, as always, lead with trust, especially with your assistant. Do your due diligence in the hiring process. Make sure that these people are extraordinary, that you know you can, in theory, trust them, and then assume trust. Lead with trust. If you can't do that, you aren't going to use them effectively. I've had whole episodes on leading with trust. It is quite simply the most important thing we do as leaders. And if you can't do that with your assistant, you aren't going to use your assistant effectively. Now, there will be times, as I've spoken about before, when that trust gets abused. But we tend to hang on to the times where it gets abused and we get let down as the operating procedure. That's what's going to happen. We therefore can't trust. Actually, that's the rarity. In fact, if we don't trust, it becomes a self-fulfilling situation where because we aren't trusting, we're not trusted back. Lead with trust. You can pick up the pieces. You're extraordinary. If something goes wrong, you will sort it out. But if you don't lead with trust, it's more likely it's not going to work out. Lead with trust. I hope that you found that one useful. If you are hiring an assistant, maybe you already have an EA and this has given you some new ideas for how to effectively use an EA, I would love to know. Drop me a DM over on LinkedIn. I answer every single one. I would love to know, what are you doing? How are you using an assistant? Where would you like to use an assistant? Are you struggling to make the case to yourself or to your boss? Tell me, I'd love to know. But until next time, remember, stay on your tech leadership game, my love. Follow your dreams because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, check out how to get more of my help and some free resources. It's where I take what I talk about in this podcast and really help you apply it. Hop on over to tonycollis.com and check out Work With Tony and free resources in the menu bar. Until next time, this was Tony Collis on the Leading Women in Tech podcast.